You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. the lifestyle, the everything. Here we are, Brave New Radio. I'm your professor, David Kirkcope, along with your Dr. Esteban. Marconi, emeritus. <laughs> Dr. Esteban Marconi, emeritus. That is going Mar- to be right. last name coming up in the, because this is June 5th, and in 25 days, actually 26 days, you'll be. 30 days, that's right. So we have two guests on yes. our today. They'll be here any moment. Uh, Laura Huffless and Jeremy Holly. They're the co-founders of Flight View, which we're going to learn all about uh, Flight View, which is uh, a Nashville-based sort of branding agency that connects brands to consumers through the power of music, pop culture, and entertainment. We will be with them shortly. We want to give a congratulations to Ashley Weltner, who has been our engineer for the last two and a half years, I think, or three. She graduated. She's gone. We love her. Uh-huh. We would love you, the listener. Go to musicbiz101wp.com. Sign up for that newsletter. Go ahead. Do it. Do it. It's not going to hurt you. It's the best thing that you could probably do for yourself today. And then you should follow us on the Instagram, the Twitter, the Batchbook, at musicbiz101wp. This podcast you're listening to possibly on SoundCloud, possibly on iTunes. We are going to expand that this summer. We were on Spotify. We got kicked off because we used some music illegally, and we're not going to get back on there. And never you think what you think never there's no one to appeal to i i talked to the universal music group and i talked to somebody there and they say you have to talk to spotify and there was no human being at spotify to talk to so and probably the thing that we would have to do anyway would be to go through many episodes where we used the song money um mm-hmm. money that's what i want barrett strong and i think we used the money used the beatles version but it's a universal music group sorry, Universal Music Publishing song. And um, so it was flagged. And I think we would have to go back to all these episodes and un- uh, and edit them to get rid of all that music. And I'm not going to do it. So 
I am confused, even though I've taught this for so many years, that if the station has a license to play any of Universal's music, why are we being? Well, we could play it because a we, the podcast, which was recorded. I understand. So it's, it's a we recorded entity. the music. So if Brave New Radio had recorded the music, they would be in violation as well. If, if Brave New Radio put out a podcast with it, yes. If we were just live and it wasn't uh, put out as a podcast, it'd be no big deal. But be, because we put it out as a podcast, now it's separate from the actual broadcast. Right. Airwaves. So I understand, yes. A different medium. Yes, so that is why. So would you like to give thanks? Sure, we better. We, we best. Uh, I'd like to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management because with artists like Dave Matthews, three doors down St. Vincent, Kiss, there's only one place to go for you to go. I said that. There's only one place for you to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you're ready. And we want to give thanks to Christine. Oi. They, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Christine has helped many professionals all over the world, pre and post COVID, manage their investments, plan out for the retirement. When somebody like you is thinking of building a bridge, physical, mental, emotional, to your financial future, somebody like you should think about going to the Forefront Group and go to Christine. Dot. Oi. They. It's that, right. You're right. Dot com. Leave the last oil off for savings. Which you definitely should do. Nobody would ask you to keep that. Managing your band, 7th edition, still looks good for 2021. We'll see. And the University of William Patterson, ranked one of the best ever, one of the best music programs, music business programs in the United States. And that also includes Russia and Argentina by Billboard magazine. And we're happy to bring that to you. And that's all because of you, Dr. Esteban, with your 25, 24 days left before you retire and become emeritus. <laughs> right. And our and guests are here. Yeah, well, one and a half. Wait, there's Laura. Laura Hutfless. Hutt I keep wanting to say Huffless, but Hutfless. How are you, Laura? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. It's very nice that you said doing well and not say, and you didn't say doing good, because that would have been incorrect grammar. And we would have judged you poorly. I have a wonderful publicist who corrects me often. <laughs> very well. You have the grammar police, which is very yeah. good. And we see Jeremy is, there's, got some video with Jeremy. Hey, Jeremy, how are you? Hey, guys. Jeremy. Good to see you guys. Good. Is it really good, good to you. see us? <laughs> it really is good to see you. It's great to meet you. I've heard a lot of great things about you from a lot of good friends at, at the Warner Music Group. So, oh, wow. Okay. Looking forward to this. Where you worked for 10 plus years. Yes, sir. Back in the day before the goatee was a little bit gray. That's right. That's great. I shaved, I lost by the a way, I shaved for you last night because this was this is all gray when it comes in, so it's it's gone, and now you guys think more highly of me. So, all right, not mine. Mine is black. <laughs> great that's that is right. All right, so what's happening in Nashville right now? Is it raining? Is it hot? Humid? Beautiful day. It's a little overcast, which makes it nice, more bearable. Um, right. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful day. And how are they doing with uh, the virus? The restaurants are open, I understand, for my friends. Yeah. We're yeah, we moved to phase two on yeah, Monday. Yeah, 
Uh-huh. And social distancing is uh, being enforced? Uh, I, I think for the most part, people are following uh, the recommendations. Okay. And uh, I think this week has been a little different with the gatherings and the marches and everything taking place sure. in the city, which is Absolutely. wonderful. There was a beautiful event yesterday with 10,000 people yeah. fully marching, which just shows the, the strength and power of this community. Yeah, that I think that broke some of the rules. <laughs> ah. for, but couldn't be a better better reason to do it. So my friend uh, was talking to me from my Mi Miami, and he um, went to a very small cafe, and there were three tables outside, and I think there were two tables inside, and everybody was they ordered and they took the mask off for, to eat, mm -hmm. and then a pop up thunderstorm came and. Everybody ran inside with no masks, body to body. <laughs> so, you know, it's so so different than like an operating room that is sterile. And once you leave the operating room, you're okay. With this, it's just goes on and on and on until you uh, realize you're alone. And then you can, uh, you know, be appropriate. <laughs> so anyway, we can get started now. Um, I love the name, and how did you come up with the name Flight View? And how is it not, I guess, confused with anything that has to do with uh, an airplane? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a funny story. So when we first launched our company, no one had heard of Flight View. It was a name we came up with, and I'll tell that story in a minute. But uh, some of our first phone calls were people asking for flying lessons. Uh -huh. and, uh, to which we responded, how much are you willing to pay and we'll figure it out. Um, yeah, we ended up not going that direction and uh, stayed our course and uh, have a wonderful agency. Um, but the, the original name was really built off the world, word fly. Um, there's One of my favorite quotes is, um, a bird doesn't worry that the branch that it's standing on will break because it believes in its ability to fly. Ah. And, both of us coming from really big, wonderful organizations, CAA and Warner respectively, uh, we took a big risk and jumped off the branch and uh, had to fly on our own and really build the plane as we were flying it. And we still do that with our programs. And uh, I think that's where the word flight, fly came in. And then view is because we sit as an agency inside entertainment which is a different perspective coming from the talent uh, perspective than traditional media and marketing agencies, you know, in the big cities, New York, LA, that, that have tried to build entertainment divisions. We all sit inside the industry. We all have backgrounds in entertainment. We've worked with talent or at labels. So our perspective is quite different on how to build these programs and execute them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you, uh, I mean, your growth is tremendous, obviously, since 2015. Uh, you saw the niche, you saw the space. How did it come about? Yeah, well, for me, I was an agent, uh, always brokering sponsorship and endorsement deals uh, on behalf of talent. Uh, and about five years ago, it was right at the beginning of the influencer wave that was starting to, be, to build. Um, social platforms are beginning to launch new platforms and 
brands were realizing that they needed to be integrated into the pop culture conversation to be relevant. Right. And they were coming to me with offers and deals that weren't structured properly. They didn't understand the perspective of an artist or an influencer. Um, and so they started asking me to work on behalf of them to help them craft these big entertainment programs uh, with a 360 approach and uh, couldn't do that working on the talent side. So saw an opportunity to start an agency that could work with these brands and help them understand how to navigate what can be a very confusing marketplace as talent have lots of different representations from agents to managers to you know, there's music rights. There's a lot to navigate if you've never worked in, in mm -hmm. this space. So that's, that was the reason for starting the agency or the opportunity in the marketplace at the time. Right. Now we're, um, with a naive, like did uh, a brand say, we want, um, I don't know, we're going to make someone, we want Snoop Dogg and it's just so wrong for that brand. Uh, were you the person that comes in and educates and sort of uh, gets them through that? Yeah, I think we, we actually start that conversation a few steps earlier, right? So it's, we don't jump straight to talent. The first question is, what are the goals and objectives? Yeah. And based on what we're trying to accomplish, we're then going to determine who the right, what we call megaphone is, right? If that's a talent, if that's a partnership, it could be a festival program. It's, it could be an award show. It could be something in sports uh, that makes sense for that message and who they're trying to reach. Uh, mm. But a lot of it is education uh, with right. brands who haven't worked in this space before. Yeah, and one of the big, biggest mistakes we see brands making is make, like the chief marketing officer making a decision based on what their kid likes or what they see as, or view as popular, right? Do you lean towards some philanthropic or nonprofit stuff that, um, you know, for instance, there was Tennessee Tourism and there was the uh, Cheryl Crow one and so on. Uh, is it that you're leaning towards that or some of the artists are into that? They're more into philanthropy than they are into making a uh, commercial agreement with a brand. Yeah. I it, it's both. So when we started Flight View, Jeremy and I uh, both felt um, a little frustrated with the industry that it, a lot of the programs we were working on weren't having a uh, global impact, right? They weren't shifting culture. They were fun programs and a lot of money is exchanging hands, uh, but we wanted to ensure that we were putting things into the world that we were proud of and that gave back to the community. And so we made as a company a commitment that every program we work on, there will be some type of give back financially, whether it's part of building awareness um, for an issue. Um, we ensure, and our clients know that, that that is uh, a prerequisite to working with our agency. Um, then as an agency, we commit uh, a percentage of everything we make to the community this year or last year, um, it was 20% of everything wow. brought in goes back. And that's determined by our staff. They get to make the decisions. They actually get blank checks that they get to deliver to organizations that they're really passionate right. about. Right. Um, and then um, I guess to answer your question about talent uh, and partners, absolutely. Like I, I don't think that you can put anything into the marketplace right now uh, without 
uh, that message. Um, it has to be for a greater cause. And that's what motivates talent. At the end of the day, especially artists who, um, who have, ha have found a lot of success in their careers, they don't necessarily need the money. Uh, they want to know that they're leaving a footprint uh, for good in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, I mean, with I think I read where in your bio there the growth is over two thousand percent in the four or five years. Um, do you have to go out and hunt down any brands now, or is just your phone ringing off the hook? I don't think you can ever stop hustling. <laughs> you know, I mean, as an entrepreneur, that's what we do. And I think we've been really blessed that brands have seen our work uh, and have called in and wanted to work with us. And that's great. But uh, I still go out and uh, pursue brands that I'm passionate about and that I see changing the world and mm -hmm. that I use um, our products or services that I think are um, something that excites me and I want to learn about. So I think it's a mix of both and I never want to lose the hustle. It's my favorite part of the job. Mm -hmm. we, we have been fortunate though to really be selective with the brands that we get to work with. Um, and we, we typically filter that through their vision, what their mission is, how, what their, how, how their values reflect our values, because we feel that that's going to deliver the best program, um, and we always are looking for ways to, for, to win, right? And it's like we want to deliver the best product possible. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. not always the biggest companies. I mean, an example is we've done a lot of work for Bumble, and you've probably seen that in some of our work. Uh, we started working with them when it was five women working in an apartment, and mm -hmm. I went and pursued that opportunity uh, because I was a fan of the product. Um, yep. I had used the app and uh, thought that I, I could see the vision and I was excited about it and wanted to help them grow the company. So it doesn't matter if it's, you know, a fortune 50 company or five uh, women building an app. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's one of the questions I was going to ask. Do you have, um, now that you have so many clients, do you have a uh, sort of a flaw that if the campaign isn't, doesn't have that much funding, you're not going to... Um, you don't have the time to do it. Um, there's a minimum spend to be effective. Mm -hmm. And so if a brand or potential client approaches us and they don't have those funds, it would, I would be doing them a disservice to take their money if mm -hmm. I couldn't deliver for them. So there is a minimum. It's probably a lot less than I will say it's a lot less than I know uh, other agencies out there because I think we are really good at making those dollars effective. Right. But I, we are very honest with our clients and our brands um, to, you know, recommend other partners if if they just can't afford to spend in this space. The other thing that brands don't think about is the value of their own assets. So we work with a um, a wine company now and they sell 500,000 bottles a day, right, of their product. And if you think about adding promotion for an artist onto the product or onto point of, you know, purchase displays, that's really valuable inventory to an artist who's out there trying to launch an album or a tour or music. And so there's, we work with another brand who has a database of 9 million moms. And that's really valuable. Data is valuable 
there's a price tag attached to that. So there's a lot of assets that brands have that artists should be leveraging. And there's some trade opportunities there that will help keep those talent costs down if they're able to leverage those to assist the talent in whatever they're trying to launch or, or market. Yeah. So that's where we get creative with some of the, some of the uh, deals. Yes, David, you have a question. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I, for those listening, I'm raising my hand Two two kind of follow, follow ups, follows up to that attorneys general. When you talk about minimum spend to be effective, is that relative to what they want to do? Like if they come to you and I, they just want to do an online campaign, that's a different spend than if they wanted to do a Super Bowl ad or, or is it just flat across the board? You need $8,000 to do anything with us just because we have to pay for the lights and for the staff and all that kind of stuff. There is a minimum spend in general. <laughs> um, mm -hmm, right. We actually, we, we have a really unique process at Flight View. So we do, uh, we sit down with our, with our clients and we have a full onboard process. We understand their goals, objectives, et cetera. We kind of go back to the war room for about six weeks really dive in, build strategies, et cetera. And so that first phase, there is a minimum spend for that first phase for us to really do our homework. Um, not all agencies do that. We do that because we need to understand the, the obstacles and the problems and the goals so that we can prescribe the best solution for them. Um, without that, I'm just throwing darts at a wall, right? I, I don't know what's really gonna be effective for them. I always compare it to going to the doctor. Like you wouldn't go to the doctor, sit in the waiting room and say, you diagnosed me, don't look at me for, you know, don't, don't do an exam. Just tell me what the prescription is and then I'll pay you. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any sense, but for some reason, that's the traditional agency model. Give us ideas, if we like it, we'll pay you. We reverse that. So let us diagnose you. Sorry about that. And let us really understand your brand, your messaging, will come up with the solution that's perfectly built for your brand, and then we'll go out and execute it. And you can see that in our work. Uh, one of the best examples is with Enterprise, when we built the Share the Code, Hit the Road program for them. Um, it, no other brand could be put on that program, and it, it wouldn't make sense, right? Because it was specifically built for their messaging, their brand, um, and how they communicate to their consumers. Let's go back to then, you just mentioned the Enterprise Rent-A-Car commercial. So are you putting music, are you including music or entertainment into every uh, campaign that you do? So I, to, to answer your question around music, music does play a large role across all our campaigns, but we, we are broader than that. We work in sports, celebrity, influencers across the board. I think we both come from the music space. So obviously we're passionate about it and we want to continue we think music drives emotion and ultimately emotion drives sales so we um we like to integrate that with enterprise um they had traditionally been doing a, a content initiative and they were looking um it was a partnership they had with another agency um, and they were really looking to create something that they could own um so after we sat down with our teams, did the onboarding process that Laura mentioned earlier, we discovered that ultimately their, their core values are giving back, right? Picking people up through acts of kindness. Their whole thing is around, we'll pick you up. That's their whole brand slogan. So we built a campaign um, where we built a ticketing platform um, where fans could 
actually ticket the event through acts of kindness. So instead of a monetary exchange, there was a, an action prompted to the consumer um, to allow them to share acts of kindness in order to get access to the show. Um, this, this kicked off early on as a content initiative. Um, the first year we did it with Zach Brown and we paired him with Cirque du Soleil, which was a very unique payoff experience at the end that, that we built into. And the second year, um, just this past year, right before COVID, uh, we launched with One Republic and we did a show at the Joshua Tree um, with Enterprise. How many employees do you have working? <laughs> what did you say? We, we have about 20. Oh, okay. Full time or are they independent? Wow. Full time. And how did the two of you divide your responsibilities up? Oh, good question. Ever evolving. Uh, so uh, I really focus on new business strategy and operations. Uh, Jeremy is uh, built to be an activator. So once we sell it, we strategize uh, and we have the plan. He really leads the team in bringing it to life. Um, everything from PR to creative to uh, building out what he just mentioned in tech solutions, virtual solutions. Um, so we, we both have very different skill sets, uh, which end up working really well together. Right, right. Okay, so it sounds like, Jeremy, you were also more on the music side. Well, I think we both could argue that we come from music. I obviously got into the business because I, I love music and I love helping support artists. And when I started at Warner, um, I started as a radio promotions coordinator. Um, and it was back in, back in a time where I call it the 10 dark years of the music business. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, but, but fortunate for me, um, it was a time where Warner was focused on 360 rights, multiple rights for artists. They were building a lot of different businesses, ranging from merch to e-commerce to direct-to-consumer. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be in that environment and be able to be entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And um, that ultimately led to me leading the marketing organization um, for Nashville. And I think through that process, you know, it, it, it ingrained in me in the DNA of like being able to act fast. And I think one of the things that Flyview offers that's different than other agencies is because both Laura and I and a, and a large majority of our staff come from entertainment, mm -hmm. we are able to innovate quickly, do things in 24 hours, you know, big initiatives that take, you know, some brands months and months and months to plan for don't really scare us. And I think that's something that um, because we come from music, it's it's helped helped us grow quicker than than a lot of other organizations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We we teach um, basically from the three revenue streams when we teach. We teach about the obviously of the original product, the writing songs and licensing, and then live being number two, and then recorded music being number three. Uh, for the normal artists, unless you happen to be the weekend or something. Uh, and now we're also sort of adding fashion as being almost the number four. Do you see that or, or not in terms of brands wanting, because many of the hip hop artists have their own brand and their own fashion statements, but there are others that are still doing, and especially um, when we talk about actresses and actors, uh, doing uh, branding from the brand standpoint that's already 
existing. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that fashion sways culture. Um, I think it, for us, it really just depends on the brand. We do work with retail brands, apparel brands, and a lot of times they are looking to do joint uh, lines or products with, with artists or celebrities. Mm -hmm. um, so we have seen some of that. Um, Laura, I don't I, know if you want to. I would disagree that I would not call it fashion. I would call it branding. Mm -hmm. Because fashion, the fashion industry is not the only vertical that's, where talent or artists are able to build businesses. So you see it in liquor and beverage and CPG. Um, you see it in fashion as well, but there are so many, they own restaurants now. I mean, it, I would just call it building your brand in general, uh, mm. probably be the fourth. Yeah, we sort of gave that uh, almost as a given, whether it be Timberlake with McDonald's or, or whatever is going on. Uh, and just we see this, I guess it comes out of, I was uh, on Columbia Records in the 70s with a band. And of course, if you wore anything, you sold out, you know, and, and now today, it's almost the first thing you see either uh, somebody's got a, a, a hat or, or a shirt or whatever, besides then people doing total lines like a Kenya West and, and so on. So I think that's just where I sort of see it happening now that there's no taboo in terms of um, being on the red carpet, I guess, is the way to do it instead of getting to the rep red carpet and ripping it up into pieces and moving on. Yeah, so. I mean, even when I started, it was 15, 15 or so more <laughs> years ago in sponsorship and endorsement. and we were hard pressed to find an artist to take a deal. Mm. I mean, that's completely flip-flopped now where mm. every talent wants a deal and there's not enough supply, right? Bring right. on the brands to, to meet the need. But I mean, I remember when we, we went through rosters of artists making offers and they would all pass because they were all afraid mm. what that would do to their image. Uh, so I definitely have ridden that wave and seen, mm. seen Mm -hmm. seen it change 180 degrees. Yeah, there are still some that sort of refuse unless it's, um, I guess, philanthropic. Bruce being one that you, you know, after uh, one in the USA came out with a handkerchief and a soul and a pickup truck, you know, millions, billions, and he stuck to his guns. And it was many, many years, of course, that the Beatles didn't allow any of their uh, material to go out and be associated until either with Joko or Paul, somebody gave in at that at that point. So um, there are some artists that are still, I guess, thinking along those lines. Um, you know what? What as you say that, I'm thinking about the artists who held off of streaming for a while. So there were certain artists who were late to the streaming game. Besides the Beatles, Madonna. Um, Led Zeppelin. I think of Bob Seger in the mid late 80s. He had a song called Like a Rock from the same album. And that was the, the uh, theme to Chevy. I think to Chevy's commercials for years before I think John Mellencamp then had a song after that. But it's interesting that Seger was one of the last to join the streaming uh, Spotify, etc. But he was part of a sync deal for years uh, back in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And those deals are really lucrative. I mean, that's, it, 
I think that's an area that also is hard for brands to understand sometimes and how to navigate clearing music. It was one of the first uh, divisions that we launched in our company because uh, these songs have, sometimes have 12 publishers on them and you have to try to clear it quickly. You're not getting answers or responses. So mm -hmm. uh, we jumped in to help brands navigate that space. And there's an interesting program that we built and launched for uh, Norwegian Cruise Lines last year uh, called Free the Beat, where we partnered with songwriters. Uh, we took them out on cruises and they wrote music uh, that inspired by the landscape, inspired by their trips. And then that music was put into a music library that was free and clear for Norwegian to use across all of their advertising, their mm -hmm. social digital assets, their TV commercials, et cetera. And you'll see that I know currently they're paused on some things given the COVID situation, but you'll see the music used on uh, their platforms. And it's really great to see brands investing in songwriters and creating music that is now ownable and specific to the brand and the story that they're telling. Mm -hmm. and, and in the past, brands traditionally had put music last, right? So they, they shoot these really, they, they hire big creative agencies and spend a lot of money uh, shooting spots around the world, iconic destinations, get it all pristine. And then the, the last call is we need music. Right. And, and obviously at that point, the budget is lower and I think they end up getting what they pay for. And a lot of brands um, that, that we um, are now working with had been using generic tracks. Yeah. And we all know from the music community, how much more compelling, you know, an iconic spot like a Bob Steger song on a track will impact the overall culture. And so for us, we're really passionate about directing brands to really move away and to put music first in, in terms of the creative aspects of their campaigns. Yeah, you could follow that too. I remember reading statistics five years or so ago when the music budget for the ad was so small and it was because they were being squeezed obviously, but it was so small and now it has grown and grown and, and grown and been so certainly an integral part of everything that's going on yeah um, it's been like that sorry no you're the guest you talk <laughs> i was gonna say in one of the one of the hard uh one of the hard lanes for for brands to navigate is licensing because there's no set pricing mm -hmm. right it's not like if i went to buy a coke off the shelf i know the price it's going to be the price no matter where i buy it where mm -hmm. when brands approach uh, artists or um, publishers to clear music, one day it's one price, the next day it's another price, just depending yeah. on who you ask and the day you ask, which yeah. doesn't then encourage brands to actually go that route. They'd rather go with something that's more predictable and generic. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what we wanted to change in this space is to say we cannot, we can actually get really great music. You just got to know the right people and know how to structure these deals. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's important. Music is important and it drives the emotion of the spot. And like Jeremy said, music drives emotion and emotion drives sales. You can point to a number of spots, um, especially in, you know, with Nike and some of the big brands that have really built spots around a music piece that have, have been successful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, in terms of budgeting, I know in the film world, it's been the same thing. They've created the whole film and they've had placement music, but then at the end they've said, okay, here's we just spent 100 million for the film. 
here's a hundred thousand for music, you know, spread out over all this stuff. So it's, it's, I, I used to do sort of what you guys do with the Universal Music Group, and we always dealt with budgets that were terrible and trying to, and generally, tell me if you guys see this, clients would come to us and say, we're going to give great exposure to these artists. We aren't going to pay, but we're going to give this, look, think of all the people who are going to see it, so we don't need to pay for it. Um, have you dealt with that? And if so, how have you overcome that to try and still get revenue and help the client understand that there is a, val a monetary value to this music and it's exposure for everybody, but you still need to pay something. Yeah, I mean, it's brands will always um, look to try to spend as le little as possible um, because they just like everybody else, they're working off of budgets. They their money's going to a lot of different places, and and typically they're set for one or two years out in terms of how they 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 budget for things. But I think for us, it is a balance to Laura's point earlier of knowing how to really put a monetary or or a value on the assets that the brand already has in play in terms of things that they don't even know um, are leverage points with talent and music artists. Um, and that could be, they have millions of followers. They have a podcast that reaches, you know, 10 million people. I mean, it, it could be a number of things, but it's our job and responsibility to try to equate some sort of value to that and then to also the spot in terms of who's going to see it and how many people are going to see it and, and and it's always a delicate balance of like how much money versus how much impressions um, but i think because we came from music and we know how to launch a record or launch a tour or you know what's important to the artists um, because we've been in bands with them for years you know uh, seeing them sell merch i think we have a better understanding of saying hey Here's how to equate, you know, the scale of how this 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 whole campaign um, should should equate to payment. Yeah, I was just going to say that the um, on the brand side, of course, they have a target revenue that they're trying to meet, and um, of course, to rely on just the one campaign is not the way it should be done. But of course, many of them are. The tail is on the line, so they've got to they've got to trust your judgment and trust their own judgment, and so on. What can you think of one um, campaign? You don't have to mention the brand, but one campaign that didn't work, and you just scratched your head on why it didn't work. Didn't work. Damn. Has there been one that didn't work, Laura? That's a, that's a really great question. God, you guys are so good. They've never messed up. I wouldn't say that. I would say for us, it's there hasn't been a situation where the brand or the artist has been upset because we've, it, 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 if it did go south on, on any level, there's always conversations on the backside to remedy issues. Right. And I think it's our job. Flight view would not exist if our brands and the artists on both sides of the equation don't walk away with a win-win period. Um, I think going back to just a the last question and this question, it's, for us, we um, we have to show the value for talent each time. And, uh, you know, there's been situations certainly where we've pushed the envelope. And I think on, on the fail side, it's been more of like, are we being too aggressive here? Could this all fall apart because we're trying to do something like put marshmallow on the top of a bus in Chicago mm -hmm. and do guerrilla shows around the city? Like, 
those are highly risky things that could have went south, um, but they didn't. And, and we've been fortunate enough to, to not have anything um, fall apart. How about one you're most proud of for a brand? Oh gosh, I mean, even looking back now, I'm even thinking of more. You know, one that I'm really, there's two for two different reasons. Um, one, the, the Enterprise Share the Code Hit the Road program, I know we mentioned before, it was one of my favorites. Uh, because it was a combination of brand, talent, and tech mm. that all worked together for a greater message and a greater cause. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more partners and layers to that onion, the more risks of it not working out, right? And it's a delicate balance of how all of those are structured together. Mm -hmm. And the really neat thing about that program is when we showed up to the event, to the concert event, that was the culmination of the program. Everybody, the 5,000 people that were there, were there because all starting with two individuals with two codes. And the way we took it at the event was you did an act of kindness, then they got to share the code with you, you got a ticket, you got more codes to share, et cetera. So when you looked out over the audience, you realized how everyone is really connected. Mm. And that literally everyone was there because they, there was an act of kindness that was represented by everybody in that building. Mm. And there was such a positive, positive uh, feeling in that venue um, that it just felt different. Like it just felt like we put good into the world uh, mm. by the nature of this program. So that one, I was really proud of the message that we sent. Um, the other one is uh, our Super Bowl campaign that we did with Bumble. Um, featuring Serena Williams. Uh, that program was the first female-led Super Bowl campaign. Um, mm. And we had six weeks to pull that off. Uh, and most brands spend a year planning their Super Bowl uh, campaigns, commercials, programs. And we had never worked on a Super Bowl campaign or an ad campaign for that matter. And so I was really proud of our team when we got the call to do it that we said yes, despite all of the fear, despite the naivety, despite all the things that we that people would have said no for. Mm -hmm. We said yes and we can figure this out and we did. And it ended up being um, the most uh, engaged spot on Facebook, which is what we were going for. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the ROI for the brand and really proud of that and what that spot represented for women in a male dominated mm -hmm. event like the Super Bowl. Uh, and what it stood for. So uh, also glad that we negotiated to be in the first quarter because that game was a total doozer. <laughs> it was boring yeah. right. <laughs> by the fourth quarter. Oh, so glad that we, we chose the first quarter uh, spot. But um, yeah, that, that one I was really proud of our team. So Laura, how do you do that? How do you negotiate to get into the first quarter? Is that meaning uh, the company? Who, who did? Because in that deal, it was you. It was Bumble, right? And it was a their other another agency. So there were sort of three parties involved yeah, we in, brought in doing the negotiation with the network to yeah, get that. We did we did the we did the media buy. Um, okay. and we pulled in VML, uh Y and R to do the creative for the spot for the ad uh, and produce the commercial. So we pulled in them as the as the third partner um to the equation and they were wonderful, but we did the media buy and the negotiation. So it is, it's all part of a negotiation. Uh, CBS was amazing. Uh, some great friends there who 
believed in the cause, believed in what the spot represented and the message that it sent uh, and were wonderful to work with. Mm -hmm. So from their perspective, they're not just basing it on the money. They're looking at, I mean, you obviously had to pay something, but they're also considering um, how those particular spots make sense within the game itself or, or how they will affect the most worse mm -hmm. because they're still trying to get ratings, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they really do. Well, I think they're they're structuring spots so that in each pod, right? There's different pods, and we're thinking about who else is in the pod. When when is the pod? Is it before commercial? After commercial? Is it lead in? Is it an outro? Like, there's all there's so many different things to think about, and it also at, for us who we're looking at the full campaign. Um, we're thinking about what are we doing leading into Super Bowl? What are we doing during the game on socials and digital? And what are we doing post game? So if there's something leading in that we want the full game to maybe think about promoting, like you have to think about all those different parts of your campaign to figure out where you want to be slated. And of course, then it comes down to inventory, what's available because a lot of these brands spend every year. So, you know, they're going to lock in their pod positions early. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's all a negotiation and it's like a big puzzle. That's part of my favorite uh, part of this job is, is taking all the pieces and figuring out how they all work together uh, to be a success for everybody involved. In, in that particular case, the positioning really was dictated because of the calls, uh, not necessarily the price. Um, it was really more about we got the better positioning because of the, the statement we were making and because CBS ultimately believed in that. That's that's really interesting though how we're, we're from your perspective you're thinking beyond just the spot itself and the money you're spending but all the other things uh, including like you mentioned at the very beginning of this discussion about um, you wanted to be effective on Facebook which is where the audience ultimately was going to be once the spot ran and then you talk about all the other things uh, post game during the game how you're going to promote the concept of this. So it's, it's more than just an individual 30 seconds in time. It's much more than that. Yeah, and now you see brands uh, debuting spots early or you see them release content that leads into a commercial. So yeah. maybe there's teasers a few days before. Then there's yeah. also the element of your PR strategy. So, you know, are you going to announce this on Good Morning America or Today Show? Or is your talent going to show up on Today's Show and talk about it? And if they are, they're going to want to show a piece of the ad. So you start to look at, you know, the calendar and you only have so many days leading into the game to then figure out what content you're releasing on socials. What are you releasing to media outlets? What are the appearances going to be? I mean, it's a full, uh, full program, 360 program it's not just a 30 second or 60 second spot. And, and David, to that point, I think the, the philosophy around what you're talking about, around how we thought about that campaign is the philosophy that we base FlightView on because we saw uh, before we came into the system, we were, we were cutting one-off deals with talent and it was very much an exchange of you do X for Y, right? And it's like, you do the campaign, you move on, and there's nothing left. And the, the thing that we hear most of when we walk into brands are music, it's either we've never done music and we have no idea how to, how to do it or entertainment, or two, we've done it and it burned us, right? We, we did yeah. a campaign, we didn't see the ROI, and it's because they're, they're doing these deals based on some sort of 
um, hypothetical, you know, a process to, to narrow down talent. And then they're just cutting an exchange um, versus thinking about what's the bigger picture and how does this tie into my year yearly strategy? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when a band, whether you're signed or unsigned, puts out a new song or puts out an album. The Super Bowl commercial, because you guys you know, have a music background, the Super Bowl commercial can equate to the debut through the day, midnight. It's out on Spotify, Amazon, Apple. Now it's out. And that's the, the commercial airing. But you're doing all the pre-work to let people know that it's going to be, it's coming, it's coming. And then once it's out, now all the post work of making sure people keep going back and look what we did, look what we did, just like a song, you know, listen to our song and we're gonna put all this promotion together because it still becomes, a commercial is different now because it is a form of content for your brand, especially a Super Bowl commercial. It's not just throw away something because you're getting the stars, you're getting the message, you're getting the music, you're putting this package together and it does become a form of entertainment. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Now, we've been talking about Super Bowl. Do you find, and you, you work with athletes, you find there's a difference between an athlete and a musician in terms of, um, I guess, their attitude towards doing this and um, their knowledge of it? There's two major differences. The first difference is the layers. Mm -hmm. So with music artists, there are a lot of layers. There are a lot of partners a lot of team members, like I said, publishers, managers, agents, uh, lawyers, right, involved in the process. Athletes, there's one agent. Mm -hmm. So the access is honestly a much easier process. Mm -hmm. um, there's more restrictions with athletes, uh, but nothing that I think has hindered us from, from working with them in the past. Um, this, the second difference um, is, is what motivates them. So for a music artist, they're selling product. They're needing to market their music, reach consumers, sell tickets, mm -hmm. where an athlete doesn't need to sell tickets. The organization they play for or the team they play for, they take care of the tickets and they're not seeing a percentage of that, right? They're paid a salary no matter what. So very different in what motivates them and then how you structure the, the deals. Now, I think this, what is similar is they all want partners, especially partners they believe in. Um, I think with athletes that play for a specific team, you have to be cognizant of they are probably recognizable in that market, but maybe not nationally unless you get a national name like Alex Rodriguez or some of the Michael Jordan, et cetera. Um, but if you're working with uh, maybe more local athletes, uh, you just have to be cognizant of also um, maybe the competitive nature of different markets. Mm -hmm. So you might turn some folks off if you align with, you know, the Dolphins over the Bills or any kind of uh, rivalries. You just have to be cognizant of that, even though it's not the person, the team they play for also represents something to consumers. It's still all a quantitative measure. I mean, with, with musicians, it's how many fannies in the seat, how many streams you get. And with athletes, it's how good their season was and so on. Not if, um, uh, what's his name, Rogers plays in Green Bay, where the hell's Green Bay versus Brady playing in Boston or played in Boston. Uh, it, it, it's, it's still a quantitative measure, how, how well 
did you do so how recognizable can you be yeah and like i said with athletes you, know, you have to be cognizant of the fact that they're more polarizing in some cases just because of the rivalries and the sports yeah. allegiances yeah. that people have uh, and you don't really see that in music um, there's not rivalries uh, in that sense mm -hmm. do you have any comment on what just has happened and i don't mean on the racial positive and negatives and so on but of course with kaepernick he gave the knee now what's happened in the last two weeks. They're saying, was he right all the time? Why didn't we listen to him? And, and that's almost, uh, he almost branded himself by being sort of a little difficult because he kneeled. And I was reading in the sports columns where he couldn't get even a backup quarterback job now because he'll bring, he'll always bring that with him. And now we're seeing sort of a got a mellowing of that that you know maybe if it would have been so much less uh violent in in the way he uh chose to do that and that's it's really almost branding i don't know if it was when he did that if it was about branding for him as much as his convictions oh yeah absolutely i think what we're seeing now is talent having to make a choice are they going to stand for their convictions or mm -hmm. kneel for their convictions um, at the cost of losing fans revenue mm -hmm. quote I'm putting air quotes reputation you know all of those things sure. and now we're seeing brands have to make those same decisions that consumers want to know where brands stand in these uh, conversations and these movements um, and what we've seen in the past week is that it's better to make a statement and stand up for who you are as a brand than not at all or wait too long because mm -hmm. then it feels opportunistic. So I think, yeah, like it, it's the same for talent. It's the same for brands that people are having to decide what they stand for, who they are and what they stand for and be very clear about it you can't live in the gray times mm. um you'll you'll be nothing to everyone yeah uh, so you have to make that choice um and and we've made that choice for flight view uh we've made statements this week we've launched a website called donatemywage.org where you can donate your wage for a day mm. uh to 10 different uh organizations fighting for racial and um, equality mm. and we did that in 24 hours because we felt strongly uh, about what's happening and wanting to be supportive and using our talents and resources to do that. But we, we right away decided who we are, what we stand for, and made it known. You mentioned sync deals, and I'm going to ask you in a second about, you mentioned you have 20 employees and about the structure and, and who the employees are, not by name, but the different uh, divisions of the company. But if, if there's a sync deal and you guys arrange the sync deal and let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars and fifty thousand is going to warner warner records and the other 50 is for the publishing and you mentioned how a, one particular song might have six eight nine publishers how do you know how to split up that fifty thousand among the nine publishers who's giving you a split sheet saying publisher a gets twelve thousand publisher b gets fifty dollars publisher c gets and you're both smiling, so 
How can you believe I it? can tell you've asked this question before, but I but I'll, <laughs> I'll take a crack at it. I it, it's a riddle, right? It's uh -huh. it's you go to the website to then get directed to the other website to maybe get to the list of the or the writers that then gets to the list of the publishers and then they've re-signed with another publisher. Like it's it's virtually a fact-finding, you know, exploratory, going down deep into the cave to try to get as much information as possible. And and the, we obviously use Harry Fox. We use all the, the PRO websites. Like we, we use all the tools at our disposal. And we also have internal databases that we've built over many, many years. But I think for us, it's you find the 90 percent and then the other 10 percent that's that's, you know, broken into micro <laughs> <laughs> percentages you have to just ask questions um we we we're fortunate uh you know our industry as you guys know is built on relationships and we're fortunate enough to have great relationships with all the major publishers um and we also sit in nashville which is, which is a unique proposition for us because we can go have breakfast with the heads of publishing and and have arms into kind of all the different areas of of the whole global music business so um it's not an easy process. Um, and, and when you think of it from a brand's perspective, it would be a nightmare to try to figure that out on your own, not even knowing where to start. Do you need approval from every single publisher to do a song? Yes. So there are eight writers. Because I, I remember somebody told a story, or I read it in Billboard a few years ago, there was going to be a Super Bowl commercial, and there was one, there was a song had like nine writers on it. There was one person who was holding out. And just wasn't answering the phone. He wasn't picking up. Sort of uh, like that, you know. And I think he said yes. What? Mark Robinson, three hundred, told us. He, he told us that. Okay, but but that's also a thing yeah. that you need to think about when you're doing sync deals, right? Is you need to get all these different approvals before it can even air. Well, and then you you get you get to the next layer. Then, if you're doing a major TV spot, it involves SAG, right? So then you're trying to track down choir members who sang on the track you know, to, to get their clearance and approvals uh, just to be on the spot. And that's I'm, a real that's, example. Yeah. That's a real example. And the, and that's Super Bowl. And as you all know, that Super Bowl is always early in the year. So you're clearing this over the holidays. And mm -hmm. we all know the music industry shuts down over the holidays. So no joke, we were clearing music for spots on Christmas Eve. Yeah. <laughs> 12 publishers on Christmas Eve. And so, yeah, luckily we have a, a wonderful pit bull on our team who <laughs> is uh, great at tracking people down. I mean, we've gone to sit in offices. We've gone to people's homes. I mean, you have to do what you have to do to try to get, get the information you need. So yeah, that's where the hustle comes in. Yeah, it's funny. That's one of the things about sync deals that I don't think people necessarily understand. They watch the commercial, they hear the song. They don't realize the amount of effort and that songs have especially if you're looking for pop songs, it's not two people or, or one, most songs aren't just one person anymore. They're, you know, they're the writers camps and there are all these different people. Yeah. So, I mean, we long for a day when, when there's a blockchain, one website solution that, that just spits out all this information. But I, 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 I don't think that day will ever happen. Yeah. I sat on a, I sat in on, I forget who was running it. Uh, but it was downtown and, uh, in Soho and we had representatives from every area and they were just asking for one stop shopping. That's all we were asking for. And it couldn't be done. They just, there was no interest uh, in all. Everybody was so turf conscious. And I know what you say, Dave and I many times um, 
will hear something or see something, then we'll text each other, gee, think they got clearance for that? <laughs> you know, I mean, you just, you just know. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny. It's like, you know, back maybe 20, 30 years ago, there were probably four or five major publishers that held a lot of the catalogs. Yeah. And you're seeing a huge trend right now of all these private equity firms coming in and buying these publishing catalogs. So the, the problem is not getting any easier, and it, but it just shows you the importance of having like experts that understand that world that can track down that information for yeah. you to be able to, to clear yeah. it. Uh, Brabeck told me one time that the most he saw was a hip hop song. I think it was 18 writers and uh, 14 publishers on one wow. song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, because um, we're starting to run against the clock and uh, yeah. I want to follow up about 20 people in the company. Does that include the two of you? And what are the different divisions of the company? What does everybody do there? So people who are listening, who are like, who want to do music or be part of the music industry, you guys are in it they can sort of know these different positions exist. Yeah, there's 20 of us, including Jeremy and myself. Uh, and so how it's structured is we have our client service team, um, our media team, and then our operations team. Mm -hmm. So operations is accounting, finance. We have uh, folks you know, who are focused on actually the, the processes and the running of the business, and then the client service team uh, are really, they're all assigned to different clients. So they're the ones managing the programs, uh, learning about clients' goals and objectives. They're putting together the solutions. Within that team, we have folks who are responsible for all of our talent relationships. Uh, so meeting with labels, meeting with talent, uh, meeting with managers, understanding what's going on in the business. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're doing for our clients. We're bringing them opportunities to be integrated into pop culture first. We have to get there first and it's all about relationships mm -hmm. uh, so that's their role and then we have within that too also we have a production team and so they're bringing these programs to life they're working with vendors they're working with tech companies they're working with developers uh, before COVID happened they were bringing to life events producing events and concerts and activations uh, so they work hand in hand with our client service teams and then our media team includes social digital folks who are buying media, buying digital media, boosting, targeting, uh, producing content, our PR team, which is really focused on earned media. Um, they're really helping us craft the headline, craft the messaging, talent interviews, et cetera. Uh, and so they support all of our clients and all of our campaigns. And uh, who's so creative? Uh, it is, well, so we have a designer. So visually, we have somebody who uh, works to make sure everything that we put out uh, definitely uh, aligns with our clients' uh, visual assets. But as far as who's coming up with the campaigns yes. and piecing all of these things together, it is collective. And that's something that is unique about our agency. Typical agencies typically have a creative team or a creative director. Sure with my limited knowledge of how agencies work, <laughs> I did notice when I was a talent agent that different agencies always had this look and feel and it, and it was the same, they were putting out the same things every time because there was one person directing it. And I never wanted that to happen at our agency. I wanted the diversity of thought and experience and relationships as we build these programs. So every program feels different and is unique. 
So in our process, uh, everyone contributes. We literally have all team brainstorms. We start to break apart, then come together again. So we're literally getting everyone's unique experience. Uh, so we are really diversifying that role across the agency. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, final, final thing I need to ask, and um, it, our uh, engineer, who's been the engineer of our radio show for the last uh, three years, is a student. She just graduated. Her name is Ashley Weltner. And Ashley is part of an organization called Change the Ref. And I don't know if you ever heard of Change the Ref. Change the Ref um, is run by the father of, of a boy who was killed in the Parkland um, High School shootings right. back in 2018. And um, Ashley would be really upset if I didn't bring up that, Laura, you have, um, uh, you're involved on the, the board of the On-Site Foundation because you were involved with um, you had a boyfriend who was uh, in the um, Columbine shootings in 1999. Could you kind of bring up that? Because I think that's really important what you are doing there. Thank you so much for asking this question. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a cause that uh, has affected all of us now. Um, me, professionally, we have uh, folks at our agency who were survivors of the Vegas shooting. Um, and so I've seen, and just within the country music community, so I've seen how that shooting has affected my friends and my colleagues. Um, and then I was in a relationship with Austin Eubanks, who was a survivor of Columbine. Um, and he had become a spokesperson really for other survivors. And uh, because of the trauma um, for a number of years as a teenager and in his early 20s, he had turned to addiction. Um, and found recovery, he had become a spokesperson, unfortunately relapsed around the 20th anniversary of Columbine about a year ago. And that, I guess, shocked me into action that there are folks who have gone through these atrocities that are struggling two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years without access to resources. Uh, to help them work through that trauma. And so through Onsite Foundation, we provide um, the best, I can say that, the best trauma-informed care specifically curated to survivors of mass shootings. So we did the first workshop uh, this past March for 45 survivors from across the country, um, provided on full scholarships, uh, thanks to donations um, and organizations, a lot in the music community who donated for that. And uh, we're really proud of that program. and. We continue to build on it. Um, we're looking at doing more programs uh, later this year, and uh, it's been something that's been really close to close to my heart, um, specifically in the music industry, because most of the events, when you look at them, it's either concerts or schools or sometimes churches where these mass shootings occur. Um, and so it's something that's really affected our, our industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you think about even uh, internationally, not just here, from Ariana Grande, which is, was in Manchester, I like to kind of go back to, it seemed like the first of this string of them was the one in November, I think it was like three or four years ago, mm -hmm. uh, it was a death metal concert in Paris, mm -hmm. yeah. which was horrific what happened at that one. And, yeah. and I think part of it too is educating the industry on how to be trauma-informed. So there's language that we should be uh, thinking about. I, I'll use the example of Eminem's video. You probably saw that came out a few months ago that uh, it was 
it was telling the story of the Vegas shooting through the shooter's perspective. Um, and uh, they put out a video. Um, I called Interscope as soon as it came out and essentially asked them to put a warning in front of that video because it was so activating to people who had lived through that experience and are still uh, you know, activated by seeing those images and hearing those lyrics and, and they did. Uh, they stepped up and they did immediately and worked with YouTube to do that. That's I think the first time a warning has ever been put in front of a video. And so I think part of it is just education and realizing that these images and these words that we're putting out have effect, words have power. And we have a responsibility when we're putting music and words into the world that we can move them, uh, we, we can move people with words and we need to make sure we're doing that in a way that is lifting people up and is positive. Um, and that's my passion. That's great, we appreciate that. Yeah. yeah thanks for asking. Mar Marconi, any final words? No, it's been great and best of luck. <laughs> Thank you. thank you. No, thank you guys. We're, we're excited about what you guys are doing and, um, and the success of the show and, and what you guys are doing at the school. So thank you for, for all your, your help as well. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to uh, sit with us for four hours on a Friday. And, um, but cool, but thanks guys. Thanks for doing this and yeah. taking the time. All right, so Dr. Esteban, that was tremendous. So you did a tremendous job with your interviewing skills. Well, thank you very much. You're, pract you're practically, you're Mike Wallace, you're Dan Rather, you're Tom yes. Brokaw, all in one. I'm, uh, what's his name, Como, too? Yes, you're, uh, I always Chris, call him Mary. Chris Cuomo, right. Chris. You're, you're Chris Cuomo, that's right. Yes. Yes. But, so it's the end of the show, and at the end of every show, we do not say hello. What nope. rhymes, what I just said, that is not truth. And it, do you know what we say at the, end, at the end of every show, Doctor? Yes, I know what I say. What do you say? I say, Avidastain. Avidastain, that's right. <laughs> and I always say adios. So at the count of three, we're gonna do it together. And when we do this on Zoom, of course, people hear absolutely nothing. That's right. We do that. So at the end of every show, we say, adios. Situation. You're losing hope, I'm losing patience